What's up, everybody? I'm Mike Wilson with Any Hour Services, and we're proud to help bring you this podcast. If you ever need a resource for information about your home's electrical, plumbing, heating, or air conditioning system, you can find Any Hour Services on Facebook, YouTube, or online at anyhourservices.com. Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Welcome to Mylan Advisors. This is our ideation collective podcast called Innovation and Leadership. Today on the show, I've got Adam Braun. It's like what we think is supposed to happen in four years of coming of age on a college campus, but rarely does happen because you don't have a lot of this self-directed type of curriculum. This is another episode of our Innovation and Leadership series where we interview pro athletes, world-class musicians, CEOs, Hollywood filmmakers, and a wide variety of other high achievers. Before we get rolling, I want to invite you to get involved with Child Rescue, the charity our founders started. To learn more about them, just come to our website, iCollective.co, and check on the Child Rescue tab on our menu. Also, I want to talk to you about one of our show's sponsors. I met these guys back on episode six. CEO Zach Smith was telling me all about starting a skateboard company and how much he hated doing the bookkeeping uh, for a skateboard shop and how he really... Uh, got led to start this business, Bookly, that's a hybrid combining bookkeeping software and human services. And I'll tell you why I let them become a sponsor. It's because I use their service now. I don't love paying 50 bucks an hour for bookkeepers to do stuff that I know software could do way, way cheaper. But uh, I don't love bookkeeping at all. So I want a real live human who knows what they're talking about to help me with the stuff I don't understand. Uh, probably the straw that broke the camel's back for me, though, the thing that put me over the top was that they could do my taxes and payroll also. Um, so totally suggest checking them out. Go to their website, bookly.co, and check out their flat rates. I've been super happy with them. So now on to today's episode. Adam, thanks for making time. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So you've got a pretty awesome background as far as I'm concerned. Um, everything you've done at Pencils of Promise and now Mission U. Um, for people not familiar with those organizations, can you can you help us out? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Pencils of Promise is an organization I founded back in 2008 um, with $25 on the side of my job, initially aiming to build one school uh, somewhere in the developing world. We started in Laos. And now, fast forward, um, we've built more than 400 schools around the world. Uh, we have about 125 staff in um, five different countries and around 35,000 or, or so students in our programs. And that includes not just building schools, but teacher training, uh, e-readers in classrooms, um, technology, scholarships for students to go to secondary school. And in the process of growing and building Pencils of Promise, I wrote a book called uh, The Promise of a Pencil, uh, How an Ordinary Person Can Create Extraordinary Change. And it was really about you know how each and every person can find their way to both success and significance and fortunately, it, it became a big New York Times bestseller and uh, was used by a lot of companies as well as colleges as their common read. And so I found myself on a lot of college campuses in the last, call it, you know, three, four years speaking to students. And one thing I heard over and over and over again was that they were struggling with um, how broken higher education really was for them. It was too expensive. It wasn't connected to the things that they felt were actually relevant for them to get a better job. And uh, then it became really personal. When I met my wife, uh, who at the time had 
over $100,000 of student debt without a bachelor's degree. Uh, she had gone to school for about two and a half years, both in-state and out-of-state, and you know, grew up with a loving family, but without a lot of financial means, and really bought into this idea that college is a guaranteed path to success. And I think we've kind of sold you know, decades of, of that uh, theory to students, but increasingly, especially in the last five to 10 years, it's just no longer uh, the case. And so uh, that's where I, I uh, decided to focus my time on higher education here at home and uh, replaced myself as CEO at Pencils of Promise, now still involved as um, founder and board emeritus. But uh, Mission U is a one-year college alternative for the 21st century that prepares uh, students for the jobs of today and tomorrow debt-free. And, uh, you know, obviously happy to share a lot more detail on it. Yeah, and I mean, it's a pretty incredible thing. Um, and and we're not the only ones that believe that. I mean, you, you look at the kind of coverage from the fast companies and CNNs and everybody um, – Talk about what is so drastically different about this and, and how the no debt is possible. Sure. Um, so, you know, there, there's two major issues that lead to college today being broken. Uh, the first is it's just uh, ridiculously expensive and it leaves students, whether they get a degree or not, um, and, you know, increasingly very few students are actually staying all the way on to completion because it's so costly and it's so time consuming and so onerous for them. But they leave school with uh, insurmountable crippling debt. And then the second is that they're not actually, even if they get a degree learning the skills that employers actually value, they're going to help them get a better job. Uh, 91% of entering freshmen say they go to college to get a better job, but college administrators and professors don't actually see that as their responsibility. And so there's this huge um, disconnect. And so at Mission U, uh, we solve for these uh, two things in a number of ways, but um, starting with the debt issue, uh, we're a debt-free program, and so instead of asking you to take on all this risk and you know these loans and pay all this money up front before you've actually had a quality experience with us, we reverse those tables entirely, and there is zero upfront tuition uh, when you get into Mission U. And instead, um, if and only if you secure a well-paying job, and that means after our year-long program ends, uh, if you end up with, um, if you're able to secure, and obviously a large part of our program is designed to help you get to this place, but when you're making $50,000 or more, uh, we then receive 15% of income for three years. Um, that's the way that we're able to generate revenue and offer that opportunity to the next set of um, students. Um, if you never reach $50,000 in income, then you pay us nothing. Um, and so we're really turning the tables of um, what I would consider accountability uh, so that uh, we're really aligned uh, with the student success. And then in that second area, when it comes to the actual curriculum, we don't start with um, you know traditional professors and deans that haven't worked in industries for 20 years. We start with the employers themselves. And so we've developed what we call our employer partners. Um, it's a series of leading companies that have helped advise us on our curriculum. And then um, we encourage our students to apply for open roles at their companies, and they get early and preferred access um, to our top graduates. And you know, right now, these are companies like Spotify, Lyft, Uber, Warby Parker, Harry's, Casper, Birchbox, Bonobos, on down the line. Um, and so you know, our entire curriculum is taught uh, primarily by industry practitioners, uh, people that have worked in the actual spaces that you're going to be learning about. Uh, and the goal is really to help you build not only the combination of soft and hard skills, um, but also the uh, public portfolio of work that uh, enables you to have a really robust resume and land that great job. So <clears throat> I'm totally in love with the program so far, but I, I think a fun thing is, you know, I'm on your website right now. In addition to all of this, right at the top of the website, it says, refer a student. <laughs> if the student joins, you both get $500. This is like the opposite of every other, uh, you know, 
application that that I yeah. can remember back there. So talk about uh, – l- let's talk about that for a second. Somebody comes to Mission U. They're listening to the podcast today. And they're like, man, I would love a job at Spotify. You're saying that you know, the curriculum is help – you guys got design and instructors from these kind of companies like a Warby Parker. Like this sounds cool. Uh, talk about the referral program for a minute. How's that work? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, you think about part of why college is so expensive. It's because a lot of the centralized cost is in the administration, right? And so, you know, rather than us thinking about how can we build out this super expensive, you know, admissions team, we thought, why don't we actually put it in the hands of everyday people who know somebody that this could be a great fit for? And so it's very simple. Uh, if you go to Mission U, just the letter U, M-I-S-S-I-O-N-U.com. Uh, you can grab a personal referral link at the top and send it to as many people as you want. And if any of those individuals end up uh, applying and then being accepted and you know completing and being successful in our program, uh, we give not only the student $500, uh, but we also give you personally $500 um, as a thank you. And we thought it was the best way to democratize access to the program that we were building. Separately, our admissions process looks entirely different from any traditional college because to begin with, we remove um, the things that they usually value. So we don't look at SATs at all. Uh, we don't look at ACTs. We don't look at GPA. And we don't uh, look at whether you have a high school degree or any performance academically within high school. Because you know a lot of those um, components really demonstrate how you are as a past test taker. And what we're really looking for is future potential. And so our admissions process removes those entirely. Uh, they also tend to heavily skew towards people um, with financially uh, advantageous backgrounds. And, you know, they can get tutors and SAT prep. Um, the SAT is actually perfectly um, correlated to wealth in this country when you look at the scores. So uh, we want to serve students from all different types of backgrounds and all, um, you know, perhaps learning experiences leading up to Mission U. And so what we really uh, value in our admissions process is what we're uh, – it is more or less character traits. So are you a self-directed learner? Do you possess resilience and grit? And a lot of these, um, again, what I would call character traits that employers really value. And then the second is the set of soft skills. Uh, like, are you a good team player? You know, the college admissions process is entirely individualized, but what every single employer knows is that you have to be able to work effectively in teams to be a great contributor to a company. So um, part of our admissions process forces you to work on a group prompt, and in a group setting, uh, you solve for a challenge together. You build a presentation with three other applicants, and you know we record that. It happens online, and you self-assess, you peer assess, and um, you know then we watch the tape back, and, and we assess your performance. But uh, it, it really is taking a different um, approach to admitting students. And again, you know, as you alluded to, these leading companies, um, they're not uh, saying we are guaranteeing that you're going to get hired just because you went to mission. You, you still have to earn your own way, uh, <laughs> just like any other um, you know, graduate of great program. Uh, but what you will come out with is the very specific skill sets that they are seeking. Uh, you also have exposure to you know, leadership within many of these great companies. Um, and I think you'll have, uh, you know, a significant um, advantage over peers who might have taken a more traditional path. You know, I'm fascinated with your talking there about the team dynamic. Um, it mm. is so interesting, right? Um, whether you're getting a job or, or in entrepreneurship, you know, business is such a team sport. But yet mm-hmm. we go through our 12 years of school and, you know, for a lot of people, another four, six or eight years afterwards yeah. where, you know, collaboration gets called cheating, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I'm just thinking like at Mylan, we were doing all this consulting for firms around operational excellence and how do they become more of a valuable advisor to their staff? So their staff will want to do whatever change initiative they've, they're trying to do. Right. And Mm -hmm. we end up talking about all sorts of people issues. 
And tons of companies want to hire for someone who can collaborate, but they're, you know, the application to get a job is very individualized. Can you talk about, you know, advice for the rest of us who want to hire, <laughs> hire people who have that collaboration, you know, the self-assessment, how did you guys design it? Or how do you, how does the peer assessment work into knowing if somebody is going to be a team player or, or has some of those soft skills? Sure. Um, you know, I think uh, companies increasingly, first of all, you're already seeing a lot of companies start to remove the bachelor degree requirement. Uh, so, you know, Ernst & Young, Cooper, Google, Penguin Books, a lot of big companies are already saying, you know, the bachelor degree itself is, is not uh, a strong proxy for long-term performance. And in fact, uh, you know, what I've heard from a lot of leading employers is one of the things they're most seeking is diversity, right? And that might be ethnic diversity, it might be gender diversity, but what it increasingly boils down to is, you know, they want people that are representative of the consumers that they're trying to attract, as well as individuals who come at problems with differentiated approaches because of their accumulated experience leading up to that moment where they're asked to solve a problem in a team. And um, if you're only taking from a pool of students who have all been through the same exact kind of rote learning experience in the pursuit of a bachelor's degree, you're limiting uh, the quality of individuals that you can bring in the door and the types of problem solving that your company can actually engage in. Uh, so what I really encourage people to do is, um, you know, to not necessarily use the bachelor's degree as a proxy, but instead um, to design a challenge, right? And, and use that challenge as the kind of first screen for any candidate and actually ask them to do the work that is similar to what they're going to have to do on the job. There's also now increasingly more and more companies that are doing uh, essentially kind of competency-based assessment that you as an employer can just sign up for. Uh, and we see it in like coding spaces and others already. Um, but I think that it's going to increasingly uh, move further and further outward. And what we'll see years from now is that we won't look at resumes. We'll look at competency graphs. And those competency graphs will also include people's you know previous experiences. But you'll, you'll care a lot more about you know, how... Uh, High quality is this person um, from a, you know, let's say writing and kind of um, presentation perspective. Uh, how uh, strong is this person's, you know, analytical or quantitative abilities? And those things are not necessarily reflected just in their GPA. Yeah, no kidding. Well, you know, with a program that is so squarely taking on the, the old traditional system, uh, I was really impressed to see how you guys have not thrown the baby out with the bathwater of like, anything coming from traditional education is wrong. Like these experts right. that you have from Harvard and Stanford and MIT, can you talk about um, A, the choice to pursue that and B, what that was like to get them, what the process was like to get them to sign on? Sure. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I think one thing that we recognize is there's no need to reinvent the wheel, right? If, if the wheel is already um, working in some capacity, it's just, you know, got some kinks to it that, that aren't um, being done right correctly. So, um, you know, the notion of having a transformational experience through education is not something that I would say is broken. I think the financial structure around it is certainly broken. The kind of inputs, like the actual content, and then the way in which students are being asked to absorb and you know, kind of synthesize and then oftentimes just like regurgitate that content is broken. But there's a lot of good things that certainly do exist in higher education. And, you know, um, one individual in particular that we've spent, you know, now a good amount of time with is... Dr. Tony Wagner. Um, so, you know, he ran one of the programs at the Harvard Graduate School of Education for a long time. Right now, he's uh, an expert in residence at the Harvard Innovation Lab. He's written six books um, on this topic specifically. He's, he's really probably the nation's foremost expert 
Um, and at this stage, he's chairing our advisory board and um, really guides us in, in really helpful ways. And, you know, this started with uh, basically I was asked to um, actually um, provide like a blurb to a book that he had co-written with another gentleman, Ted Dinnersmith. Um, called Most Likely to Succeed, that was about all of the kind of brokenness of the K-12 as well as higher ed. And I spoke to Tony uh, about his beliefs, and I said, you know, I'm interested in building college alternative. And he's, you know, kind of talked with me about uh, what we should prioritize. He gave me a ton of advice um, probably a year, year and a half ago. And then as Mission U moved forward, I reached back out and said, actually, this is, this is real. Uh, this is now, you know, going to launch soon. Can you give us additional advice? And so, you know, he started working with us in a really uh, helpful and meaningful capacity to design um, the kind of what I would almost consider scaffolding our architecture. Uh, you know, same thing with some of the other experts that we've gotten involved. Um, you know, Warman Fern Mandelbaum is a lecturer at Stanford Graduate School of Business, and she's been phenomenal in helping us think about you know, diversity and inclusion and um, all these different components about how do you teach kind of breakthrough skill sets that uh, apply to the real world, um, you know, hard skills and soft skills. Um, and, you know, what I see increasingly is that people that work within the traditional system, they recognize that it's broken just like everybody else, and they want to be a part of that solution. And so it's been really wonderful um, engaging with, you know, folks from kind of all sides of the academic spectrum. And uh, if there's anyone out there that's listening to this that wants to get involved in some capacity, I, you know, encourage you to go to the, just the missionu.com website and contact us. Well, let's talk about for a second. Let's talk about that um, from a partner perspective. You know, I think that uh, I look at you know a bunch of my businesses over the last fifteen years, most of which were failures, right? But um, you look at the hiring process, and um, I think that there's probably a lot of employers that are interested in the way you're preparing people. What about employers that potentially want to be? involved in the program and having you essentially, you know, list them and, and oh, identify yeah, them sure. as, as someone who, uh, that these kids could potentially get a job with oh, yeah. any adult, right? How yeah, does that so work? we would, uh, we would absolutely welcome it. So if on our website, uh, if you just go to missionu.com slash partners, or you just go to the main website and you'll see this big partners button at the top, um, there's an entire page just devoted to this. So, uh, as you scroll down, you'll, you'll see the options as become an employer partner. And there's kind of two options here. So you know, employer partners help us um, design the curriculum, they advise us on it, and then they get early access to our grads. There's actually a second part um, kind of below that, which we consider a project partner. Uh, and essentially, in the fourth quarter of the year, what we want our students to do is uh, essentially have a kind of internship-like experience, but one where they can really be a meaningful contributor to a company or a nonprofit. And so what we do is we break them up into small teams of four to five. And in that capacity, they act as pro bono agencies. Our first major is data analytics and business intelligence. So if you wanted a top-notch data analytics and business intelligence team to work on a major issue for your company, uh, just go to our partners page, scroll to the very bottom, and you'll see the opportunity to uh, be considered as a project partner. And what you will most likely have is, uh, you know, call it a team of four to five, just really, really highly um, skilled and well-trained uh, folks who will work on some of your biggest um, issues as a business for, you know, a short-term project. And is there, what kind of costs are associated with that? Is it, is there a direct fee? Is it just oversight or what, how does that work? Um, so obviously you need to allocate, you know, let's call it a person or two who's going to work with, you know, our team. But, uh, as of right now, we're actually not charging for it. Uh, it's really about bringing value to great, you know, companies and, and nonprofits, and then also enabling our students to build a public portfolio of work and, uh, demonstrate, you know, before they go out to the normal job market that 
they actually have real proficiency in the area that um, employers are going to hire them for. Yeah. So the the three quarters leading up to that, um, what are they learning and how did you decide? Sure. So uh, first quarter we call foundation and they're learning eight core hard skills that we think will make them incredibly effective uh, contributors to any company. And I, I started my career at Bain um, in management consulting. And, you know, this is really inspired by uh, that experience where, you know, at a very short period of time, you're, you're kind of trained to be this like value additive machine for any company across any industry. And so these eight hard skills that the first quarter is based on um, are things like business writing, project management, Excel modeling, uh, public speaking requirements, gathering a basic tech foundation of HTML and CSS. Um, you know, a handful of these kind of core foundational traits or, or skills. The second quarter we call discovery, and it's uh, still layering in both hard and soft skills, but includes uh, on top of that uh, the period of kind of introspection and, you know, the uh, almost like what we think is supposed to happen in four years of coming of age on a college campus, but rarely does happen because you don't have a lot of this self-directed type of curriculum, but helping people figure out what they want to do with their lives and where they want to point their compass and, you know, a bit of that kind of sense of personal mission. The third quarter uh, we call specialization, and this is uh, 12 weeks of very immersive focus on your major. Um, again, right now at launch, our, our first major is data analytics and business intelligence. It's a rapidly, rapidly growing industry. There's a huge um, shortage of talent to occupy these jobs, which are incredibly well-paying. And, uh, you know, they're really, you know, oftentimes interesting work. It's basically how do you use the kind of data and information within a company to help them tell stories and make better business decisions. So, you know, business is the most popular undergraduate major in the country. But, um, you know, even I graduated with an economics major from Brown and I couldn't really contribute (laughs) much (laughs) to a company with all the theory I had learned about macro and microeconomics. Um, You know, this is like a modernized version of the business major, but with real skills. Um, and then from there, you move into your fourth quarter, which which I told you about um, is, you know, focused on this work experience component, almost like an internship that scales. You have graduation. Uh, and then we actually reserve six weeks as part of the year long program. Uh, we don't think you should graduate and be kind of kicked out the door and then sent on your own to kind of fend for yourself in the job market. So we have a six week program um, as part of the year long process called career launch. And that supports you from everything that includes interview preparation all the way through to salary negotiation. That sounds pretty awesome. Um, you know, I'm interested this focus on analytics. Um, I mean, we see that. Uh, so we have we have some clients in the uh, advertising space out in Silicon Valley and some other places. And mm-hmm. it's actually w- one of my clients is my old college friend from 20 years ago in art school. <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, she just has talked to me a lot about how analytics and marketing has sh- been shifting it so much more away from like the artsy world more to business intelligence world, because now they don't, they don't have to guess which half of their advertising is wasted. They actually know from the analytics. I mean, for us, and I'd be interested in your thought, we're, we've been researching lately, HR analytics, people analytics, and Mm -hmm. you know, there's so much fuzziness there, but for so many organizations, that's the number one expense in, you know, it's where the most amount of money is going yeah. in the whole company, but yet it's so fuzzy. There's so much anecdotalness. There's, there's definitely not a lot of real time data for the most, you know, most of America. Can you talk about how your degree would help someone who, who's interested in a field like that? Sure. And, and one thing to clarify is you, you want to have a traditional degree when you complete mission year. I mean, we're, you know, staying outside of kind of the rules yeah, of traditional I, accreditation. Know, so sure. yeah, but, but when you complete the program, um, you know, uh, 
one, one thing, it's interesting that your friend says that because we're hearing that across the board. I mean, when I first started to learn about this space of data analytics and business intelligence, I thought it was like, oh, it's data science. And, you know, it's, there is going to be jobs available just within called the data science function or department of a company. And that's actually not the case at all. Uh, what we're seeing is that these analyst roles that we're training people for is actually a role that lives within almost every department of any major company nowadays. Like it's in strategy, it's in operations, it's in marketing. I mean, there's a quote on our website from the chief marketing officer of Facebook, Gary Briggs, who said to me about a year ago, as we were talking about, um, you know, getting his advice on, on our curriculum, he said, look at him, you know, within just my marketing function, not even the, the analytics function, but within marketing at Facebook, we cannot hire data analytics people fast enough. Hmm. Um, you know, so, so it's living across the board. And I think, you know, within HR, Obviously, you know, turnover, retention, these are, you know, metrics that have huge, huge impacts on the ultimate kind of bottom line and performance of a business. I think increasingly we're going to see analytics playing a larger and larger role, uh, especially as we're able to gather more and more information about, you know, any potential candidate. Uh, if you think about it, call it 10, even 10 years ago, uh, you know, when I was graduating college, um, you know, there wasn't a lot of information on a candidate that you could gather. Uh, let's say 15 years ago, when you didn't really have Facebook or LinkedIn even, all that you really had to go off of was where did they go to school? Did they complete that school? And then what was on their transcript? If you wanted somebody who was you know, going to have to perform a you know, mathematically focused job, like an actuary at an insurance company, you'd look at how they did in statistics, right? Um, I can't think of any candidate whose uh, actual resume I've looked at in the last uh, five years where I went beyond what was on the resume and said, show me your college transcript. <laughs> I, I can't think of a time ever looking at a college transcript. So I think um, what was valued previously is now in a lot of flux. And uh, over time, we're you know just going to have these competency-based assessments that will ultimately indicate who gets jobs and who doesn't. Yeah. Well, we're, we're closing in on the end of part one of the episode of the interview here. Um, before we go, you know, our listeners a lot, they request us, they say, you know, we hear these stories, we hear the polished version of the end, but... Uh, sometimes we don't identify with as much because we don't get here, don't get to hear about the struggles. Um, so coming off, you know, such huge success with pencils of promise and the best selling book and things, I'm pretty sure mission. You didn't just get handed to you on a silver platter. Can you tell us any mm -hmm. war stories, any like, man, I almost pulled the plug at this point or anything like that. Yeah. Oh gosh. Um, you know, I, I think anyone who tries to position their journey as one that didn't include struggle is, you know, diluting not only others, but themselves as well. So, um, you know, I remember, uh, you know, we're a venture backed, uh, company. So we went out, we raised the seed round in October. We're a public benefit corporation, also known as a B Corp. So we can serve a social mission, but I remember, uh, you know, the first, I would say day and a half of kind of pitches to investors, my co-founder and I really got all no's. Like every single person was like, ah, why don't you do it this way? Why don't you do it that way? You know, why don't you focus on this market or that market? And I remember at the end of, I think like maybe it was the first day or the second day, we went to a coffee shop after another meeting. And there was this kind of slight feeling of like, I don't want to call it dejectedness, but it, we were not getting the answer we wanted, right? We thought people <laughs> would be like so excited about this. And instead they were like, nah, it's not really for me. Even people that logically I, I was sure were going to say yes. Mm. And I remember just sitting with him in the coffee shop and I was like, hey, just a, as a heads up, I know that we're not getting anyone saying yes at this point, but we're not changing course. Do you feel that same way? Like, I believe that what we're building is right. It's right for the student of today. It's right, certainly right for the student of tomorrow. 
And just because they can't see it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be pushing forward. And, you know, I'm not willing to ship this and I want to make sure you're on the same page. And he was like, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And it was a really kind of, I would say, defining moment because we could have, you know, we wouldn't have packed up our bags and, and said we're giving up on this at, the, at that point. But we certainly could have said, oh, let's like change the model and have it acquiesce to kind of meet the expectations of these investors that we've been meeting with. And, um, you know, I think fortunately we stuck by our guns and literally the next day, a, a really large fund immediately was like, oh, my gosh, we want to do this. And kind of from there, you know, fortunately, things started to kind of snowball into a, a lot of, you know, yeses, much more than we could actually kind of take on. And, um, you know, that said, I mean, most nights I, I kind of wake up with this feeling of like a rock on my chest um, in the morning. And I'm just like, all right, we got all these things that I got to get done. Um, <laughs> and that's that's the nature of being an entrepreneur. Right. Yeah. Um, you kind of find a way to uh, choose to work 100 hour weeks um, for yourself rather than, you know, uh, the 40 hour weeks for somebody else. Um, do you have any advice for the rest of us who wake up with that rock on the chest feeling of like, how do you get yourself centered? How do you you know, how do you know the difference between I'm fooling myself versus we're actually going to pull this off? You know, anything about, do you have any routines? Do you have anything you tell yourself? Do you have anything to help with that? Yeah. Um, you know, I actually recently put a routine in place, uh, about two weeks ago, which is that, um, I don't check my phone until after I've spent the first hour of my day, uh, feeding our, our newborn twins, um, and spending time with my wife. Hmm. And so before I would wake up, you know, six thirty, seven a.m. Twins are kind of screaming, and you know, I'd grab my phone and I'd go into the room and I'd feed them, but I'd really be like kind of scrolling and addressing emails. And it just kind of hit me that, um, you know, one, I'm not actually being present with with these um, with my children, and uh, you know, answering emails between seven and eight a.m. wasn't something I did before the twins were born. And so there's no one sitting around being like, how come you know it's seven. 37 in the morning, how come Adam hasn't responded to me yet? Um, and in fact, if I choose to spend, you know, the start of my day with those that I love most rather than with my phone, it just kind of allows the rest of the day to kind of flow with um, a greater sense of what I would consider perspective. And then I also obviously can like compartmentalize and really focus on my work um, when I head to the office. But I, I think kind of giving that first hour of the day um, that otherwise was spent towards sleep now towards my family is, is a ritual that I just put in place, but I'm really happy with. That's great. I think that's actually a perfect place to, uh, to end part one of the interview here. Uh, please check back next week as we continue talking to Adam about uh, his experience and advice for the rest of us. Thanks everybody for tuning in. We're going to cut off part one of the interview there in the interest of time. We've had feedback that people would rather have 20 to 30 minute episodes. So we're going to break the interviews in half. Please check back tomorrow for part two of the interview. And as always, come to iCollective.co for show notes. And to learn more about child rescue, go to the menu and, and look at our child rescue page and see if that's something that you'd like to get involved with. Thanks for listening. Now's the time to find your color, your paint, and everything to get started during red, white, and blue savings at the Home Depot. Transforming your room is easier than ever. With the best deals online and in-store, you can confidently select your color and the tools for your next paint project. Get a colorful new experience and the right paint for the right price. Save $10 on one gallon and $40 off three and five gallons for a limited time only at the Home Depot. More saving, more doing. Limit 25 gallons per household. See store for details.